I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word as we turn to the study of the Gospel of John. Last week we passed over the passages in the prologue to this Gospel that referred to John. And so we will read those uh, this morning and then look to our larger text beginning in verse 19. First, John chapter 1, verses 6 and following. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Verse 15. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you sins one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Heavenly Father, write this passage about John the Baptist on our hearts that we would not be self-promoters, but that we would worship and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and be witnesses to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This passage is key. It is key to our happiness. It is key to our peace. The fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace. This passage, the example of John the Baptist, is key to our love, joy, and peace, our patience, our long-suffering, our, willing, our ability to be kind to others, all the fruit of the Spirit. It is so important. I read a few weeks ago an article. It, was, it wasn't a Christian article. But it was about young people growing up and uh, describing what they wanted in their job. If I remember correctly, the article said that about two-thirds of high school students surveyed about what kind of job did they want. They said, I want a job that fulfills my greatest passion in life. Hmm. The writer of the article said, how many of those are going to get that job? How many are going to be frustrated with work? Have we communicated the idea of self and self-fulfillment so much to our children 
that they think their value lies in finding that job that is going to fulfill their greatest passion in life. Have we communicated to our children, your, your career will be your idol. It will meet your deepest needs. This non-Christian, I don't know, maybe he was a Christian. It was not an overtly Christian article. But he said, we need to, to tell our children that your job is just one part of your life. You may end up doing what is your greatest passion, what you love the most. But you may not. Will you be frustrated? Will you be destroyed by that? He said, instead, seek a job that is there. Imagine that there are five doors open to you, and behind each door is a good meal. But you have your favorite food. And you sit there and you starve to death saying, but those are not my favorite food. I'm going to wait for my favorite food. If it never shows up, will you starve? Or you take the job that is there. And seek in that job to be useful, to do a good job. You have higher value, higher calling, I'm beginning to massage his article, than what God enables you to do with your life. We read in our children's catechism, why should we glorify God? Because he loves me and takes care of me. How can you glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands. When you discover that, you discover the one who can meet your deepest needs, who can satisfy the soul, whatever the vocation you end up having might be. And realize how easily derailed you are, even if you find your greatest passion. The Olympic gold medalist only survives that glory for a few years. And then you're, you were, you were that person. This year is important for uh, me and for Sycamore, as I am in my last year of retirement. I realize as I study this passage, this is key to my joy. And happiness. Does it bother me to think of retiring, or is there a higher calling, a greater calling that helps me understand every place and every stage of life? There is. And that's that's the key to love, joy, and peace, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. The same is true for the church. It's easy for us to think we want to be a church that is successful. It's easy a, a church that grows, a church that is dynamic. And we begin to think, so what do we do as a church to be the answer that people are looking for? Guess what? If we point to ourselves as a church and say, this is the place you want to be, we will not be able to deliver. Because only Christ delivers. We are all in the role of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist is introduced in this gospel, he is introduced first in terms of who he is not. Over and over again. Now just in case somebody's new to the study of this gospel, you have John the disciple of Christ who became an apostle of Christ. A disciple is a follower of Christ. So the disciples are generally, generally referred to as the 12 disciples who Jesus said, follow me. And then when he ascended into heaven, he gave them the great commission and sent them out into the world. An apostle is a sent one. So the disciples became apostles. So you have John, 
the disciple slash apostle, and you have John the Baptist. They're different people. So get, get that clear in your mind or it'll be confusing. John the Apostle introduces John the Baptist in terms of who he is not in John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might, might believe. Now if you just stopped there, you'd think this is the most important person Period in his day. He's the Billy Graham of his day. That through him, men might believe. But notice the next verse. This is what John the Apostle, the one who had been with Jesus for three years, said. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Then John the Apostle quotes John the Baptist, what he said about himself. In verse 15, John testifies concerning him. John the Baptist testifies concerning him. Do you catch the nuance here? John the Apostle is saying, John the Baptist says about himself. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, you have to stop and think about that a little bit, doesn't it? It's like a riddle, almost. Do you see how it echoes what John the Apostle said about Jesus in the first verse? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John the Baptist sees Jesus for who he is. He has surpassed me. He comes after me. But he has surpassed me because he was before me. He was God the Son from the beginning. John the Baptist's testimony as witness to the Lord Jesus Christ begins with his own worship of Christ. It is not false self-deprecation and false humility. He realizes he, that he as creature is announcing the coming of God the Son. And he worships the Lord Jesus. You can't help when that's your heart of hearts to be witness to him and not claim to be the answer. Not claim to be the one that can meet everyone's needs. Not claim to be the church that will be the greatest church and that's why everybody should come. Come and you'll be happy. No, that's If we worship God In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot help but point to him and say, not I, but Christ. Is that our heart of hearts? That's John the Baptist. That is what makes his humility genuine. And then John the Apostle goes on writing about John the Baptist even more specifically, more clearly. He introduced him in his prologue uh, to his gospel. And I'm treating verses 1 through 18 as the prologue. And then he begins to, to uh, talk about Jesus. Well, there's still one more section. It's the prelude to Jesus. He's going to tell us more specifically about John the Baptist who recognizes and points to Jesus. This really is a first of a two-part sermon can't get it all in one week. Next week we'll still be talking about John the Baptist and how he leads his followers to follow Jesus. 
Let me repeat that. It's the natural outworking of, of this week, who John recognizes he is not. He leads his followers to follow Jesus. That's next week. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now they didn't come out and ask, are you the Messiah? John the Apostle doesn't tell us that was specifically their question. Maybe it was. The first century in in Israel was just rife with messianic expectations. They so chafed at the oppression of Rome. Uh, Many of their expectations were political uh, expectations of a deliverer. Perhaps they did come and say, are you the Christ? And John, uh, John the Apostle doesn't say that. He said, who are you? The way John the Apostle writes it up, he is pointing out how John the Baptist took the initiative himself to make sure they were clear in understanding who he was not. Who are you not? Do you have that humility of soul, of heart, recognizing that, one, you can't satisfy your deepest needs. You're not your own Christ. You're not your own Messiah. You're not the one that everybody in your family is there uh, to serve. You're not the one who comes and is so important in uh, your work that it's all self-promoting and self-glorification. You, maybe you have a highest job in the land. But if your role is to be witness to the true Lord and Savior, then you'll have true humility. Who are you not? Is that clear to you? John the Baptist took the initiative, and John the Apostle underlines it twice. He says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. Do you see how emphatic that is? I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now, those of you that are familiar uh, with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus identified John the Baptist with that prophecy from the Old Testament at the end of Malachi that before uh, the Messiah would come, there would come one like the prophet Elijah in his mold, in his, his image, and call the nation to repent, as did Elijah. Jesus identifies John the Baptist with Elijah, but John doesn't identify himself with Elijah. The commentary that I was reading said, Uh, that uh, Jesus thought more of John the Baptist than John the Baptist thought of himself. That's just a good sign of humility. And isn't it amazing to think that when we just lay ourselves before the Lord and, and don't promote ourselves, don't exalt ourselves, he thinks more of us than we think of ourselves. There's something whole about that. It's healing about that. It's the opposite of promoting yourself and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Isn't it wonderful to think that when we stand before our Savior, he lifts us up instead of brings us down. So Jesus thought more highly of John the Baptist than John the Baptist thought of himself. He didn't say, yes, I'm Elijah. He wasn't interested in drawing attention to himself even though he had the courage of being John the Baptist. See, now, uh, let's, let's make a, a very distinct point here. Christian humility is not just being a wallflower. It's not receding. 
John the Baptist was a powder keg. He was out there, the voice calling in the world. As the people were flocking out, he was saying, repent, repent. It was a strong voice. He stood before Herod and told Herod, repent. He was put in jail for it. Eventually, his head was lopped off for it. You may have a high, visible role that requires much courage. But John the Baptist was able to have this courage because he wasn't promoting himself. It did not distress him that he would decrease. Later in the gospel, it says he must increase and I must decrease because he exalted Christ. So he says, and they ask him, are you, Elijah says, I'm not. He's not even willing to take on that mantle. Are you the prophet? In Deuteronomy, there's a, a prophecy about when the people come back into the, come into the land and they turn away and worship other uh, gods, uh, worship the pagan idols, God will raise up a prophet, a true prophet. And the Deuteronomy passage talks about how to tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet of God. And that prophet, I believe, is a prophecy about a prophet for his people in every generation. God always did that. When the people would turn away, it's the history of the Old Testament. The people, probably legitimately so, began to link that with the prophecy in Malachi about a prophet like Elijah, who would come before the Messiah would come. They began to think of it eschatologically. That means at the end of time when, when God himself comes. So, well, are you, maybe you don't call yourself Elijah, but are you the prophet that is to come before the Messiah? He just says, no. Doesn't even make a great sermon out of that. He says, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make way the straight, make straight the way for the Lord. We have to pause here. Here's where I think the NIV, I'm reading from the NIV, over-interprets. Do you have, any of you have other translations? What does it say? Make straight the way of the Lord. Let's think about that for a second. Usually we think of John the Baptist preparing the people for the coming of Jesus by calling them to repentance so that they will recognize their need for Jesus and what he would do on the cross. And that is true. He did that. But when he quotes Isaiah, it's not exactly talking about that. If you go to Isaiah chapter 40... Verse 3, this is the passage that John the Baptist is, is quoting. He says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. The NIV does the same translation there. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. That's the prophecy that John the Baptist is referring to. Well, what is this passage in Isaiah about? It's about the people in exile in Babylon 
and the promise that God would make a way for them to come back to him, to come back to the land. God would bring his people back to himself. And he would make way for that. This is metaphorical, even more than that, it's apocalyptic uh, language. We're not so familiar with apocalyptic language, but it's, it's metaphorical when it talks about every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall be made level. We start thinking, this is a, a great roadworks uh, job. And, but did, is that how God brought the people back from Babylon that you know, these contractors went out and made the, the way smooth and straight? No, we use a metaphor that's very much like it, and we understand it immediately. God will open the door for you to come back from Babylon. He will bring you back to himself. And we don't immediately go to imagine that God's going to construct this giant wooden door, a wrought iron door, and they're going to walk through it. We know the metaphor that God will make the way for them to return to him. That's what Isaiah's prophecy is about. So when John the Baptist says, make straight the way of the Lord, a voice of, he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Here's some uh, illustrations that might help you get it. Suppose you're in prison and it's your day to get out. And you hear over the loudspeakers, you're standing at the, the door of the prison. You hear the loudspeakers say, open the door. You don't think that's a command to you to go and open the door. It's something being done for you. That the door would be opened, that you would be set free. Another illustration like it. You're early at the amusement park. The coming to Jesus is is being set free. It's also the great wedding banquet of the Lamb. It's the, it's the eschatological party. It's life. And you're there at the amusement park and you're early and you're waiting and it's beginning to get hot and you're just impatient and the kids are whining and you hear the loudspeaker say, open the door that all may come in. They don't quite use that biblical language, but you can imagine it, can't you? You don't think that's the command to you to go and open the door. It's a door that's being opened for you. John the Baptist is God's loudspeaker proclaiming the gospel. Open the door that my people may come to me. Who is that door? From the gospel of John himself, Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this, in this uh, reference, when John says, I am a voice, I'm just the loudspeaker calling in the desert. Open the door. Make straight the way of the Lord that we may come to him. That's exciting. Because it's not a work that we have to achieve for ourselves. It's pronouncing what God would do to open the door for us to come back to him. He's proclaiming Christ in his gospel in his uh, self-description. Now some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, very small point that I won't explain that much, but the NIV gets the translation right in this verse when other translations get it wrong over a point that doesn't matter. But just want to defend the different translations. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now 
The Pharisees were like lawyers. It just sounds just like them. Why are you baptizing? What gives you the authority to baptize? John the Baptist doesn't defend his authority. In fact, he he's deprecating, self-deprecating towards all he can accomplish. And he says, and we could put just to get the brother's sense out of it, he could say, I only baptize with water. That's the sense of his answer. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Wow. You see, the, John's own worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a creature, a human being, announcing the coming of God the Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we may come to the Father. He knows he's not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He says at the baptism, he says, and when he baptizes Jesus, he says, I need to be baptized by you. I shouldn't be baptizing you. It just oozes out. This is genuine humility, not false humility. And it's centered in the worship of Christ. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. There are two Bethanies. This is a region on the other side of the Jordan. And it's not an important point, but don't be confused by the Bethany that's right at Jerusalem. There's another region where John was baptizing. So what was John doing to prepare God's people for Christ? He was baptizing. He didn't say, what I do is not important because I can't really accomplish anything. I only baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What's the use in just baptizing with water? He doesn't do that. He's faithful in the role that God gives him. And he is baptizing with water, calling people to repent of their sins. It is preparing God's people to receive the Lord Jesus, who is the way to return to the Father. And it is important. You see, this idea that don't think more highly of yourself than you ought doesn't mean you're not important. God has given you roles that are very important. And that role may be high and and visible and leading. It may be kind of on the side where, in human terms, nobody would notice. But be faithful in the role that God has given you. I'd like to close with this illustration of, of these roles. These are three different gloves. You recognize what they are. And they're three different kinds of gloves. This is a good, good illustration for the different gifts of the Spirit. We're made in different ways and we're given different roles. This is a, a leather glove. It's for the dressier occasions. When I'm not going to get dirty and it's cold and I'm driving, I, I use this going to, to church. Or to, we don't get cold enough here to wear them all the time. But this is what this glove is for. This glove is a mechanic's glove. How do I know it's a mechanic's glove? Because it says three times here, mechanics, 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 gloves. And it's, it's more nimble. When you put it on, you can feel the tools. You can pick up a screw with it. This is a garden glove. It's still dirty from yesterday. Now, let me ask you, which glove can change a tire? None of them. None of them. In themselves. They're just gloves. The power is not in the glove. The power is in the hand that fills the glove. And I would use this glove 
to change a tire. Or perhaps the mechanic's glove to change a tire. I'm not dependent upon the characteristics of the glove. I probably would use, but because it's a mechanic's glove, I would use this one to change the tire. This one to garden. This one for the, uh, the dressy occasions. But the power is not in the glove. The power is in the hand that fills it. The power of God is not yours intrinsically. You are not the Christ. We as the church are not the answer. The music is not the means by which we grow. The preaching itself is not the means. It's just a voice. A voice that promotes the one who can. And as God, by his hand, is at work in and through us, he will accomplish what he wills. That is exciting. And you know what's exciting about that? Is I'm not competing with Christ. I glorify Christ. I love that. And so, as I grow older and diminish, I didn't find my self-fulfillment in my position, but in the one who still meets my deepest needs. Our church, you are the same. So when you're riding high, don't think too highly of yourself. When you're riding low, don't be depressed. Be lifted up for Christ loves you, gave his life for you, has glory set before you. His hand is still in you, at work in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for John the Baptist and what he showed us by the way he described himself, knowing who he was not, not pretending to be Israel's answer, but pointing the way to the one he worshipped himself and delighting in that and gladly diminishing, even going to prison, even being beheaded because the Savior had come and would not fail to do his work. Father, give us uh, a a true humility. Give us a true worship that we would glorify you in in our heart of hearts, not just outwardly, but in our heart of hearts. And grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Because we don't self-promote. We glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.